Hey there, this is Pastor Corey, and welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. After you're done listening, I invite you to connect with us at branchlife.church to make sure you're up to date with everything going on at Branch Life. Want to share what you heard today? Subscribe to our YouTube channel and share this video with someone you want to encourage. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope that this presentation helps you connect with Christ and challenges you to reach those around you with the good news of Jesus. Well, we are jumping into our series on wisdom, and uh, thank you so much for joining us. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Proverbs, and we're also going to put the video, the verses up here on the screen. Every night this summer, as we talk about Proverbs, we're talking about one of the topics that is most talked about in the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs helps us to not make a good decision, not just make a better decision, but to help us make the best decision possible. As a matter of fact, if you're good at being wise, you have the superpower ability to make the best decision every time, and that is life-changing. The topic that we're talking about tonight from Proverbs is, you guessed it, money. We're talking about money. Now, we've already asked the question, who wants more money? And most all of you, except for Brad over there, raised your hands. You guys were ready for some more money. And, and just, just follow this out a little bit. And I just want to lay this down right as we get started. If you are a follower of Jesus, there's something you need to understand this evening. Everything that you have and every breath that you take and every dollar, peso, or yen that you own is a gift from God. He has given it to you and he's asked you to honor him with it. Now, I spent big money on these children that were up here. I was a generous and benevolent pastor. And I've asked them to honor me with the money that I gave them. But how long do you think the kids are going to think about that? You think they're going to ponder that? And they're going to make a pros and cons list. And they're going to say, you know what, I could do this and this would honor Pastor Josh. But if I did this, it would really honor Pastor Josh. Or the first time they see candy or a toy, those dumb LOL dolls, a new app for the iPad, is that money just going to go? With no thought of honoring who provided it. That, my friends, is the great trap of money. And so the topic of money comes up over and over and over again in the Bible. Because God understands us humans. And we would all answer the question, I want more money. As a matter of fact, you have an option this primary to vote for a, uh, someone who's running for president of the United States whose campaign pledge is to give you, if he becomes president, $1,000 a month. I'm, where do I line up to vote? I mean, seriously, that sounds like a great deal. Why is he making that pledge? Because we all answer the question, I want more money money. I want more money. 
in the Bible, the topic of money comes up over 2,350 times. That's how much it's talked about. Jesus talks about money, you ready for this, more than he talks about love. Jesus talks about money more than he talks about heaven and hell. And you might get a little bit upset with me right now and go, no, that can't be. That can't be. Jesus is love. That's like the message of Christianity is love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. He talks more about it, about money than any of those things. The only topic talked more about in the Bible is the topic of the kingdom of God than money. And maybe the reason is, and we're just kind of spitballing here, maybe the reason is God knew and knows that we need wisdom for money. You think about money every day. You deal with money every day. And what you do or don't do with your money, how you work, how much you earn, how much you spend, how much you give, is a, has a radical impact on your life. Your emotional life, your spiritual life, your physical life, your family life. We need wisdom on money. Imagine this. Imagine being able to make the best financial decision every time you make a financial decision. The best one. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that put you in such a different spot than even now where we're at? And you might be making good decisions with money. What about making the best decision? And that's why in the book of Proverbs, money comes up over a hundred times. Just in the book of Proverbs. A hundred times. I don't have all 100 of the verses represented here on the chart, but here are, here are a lot of the big buckets where, where the topics land is talking about money. Talking about the wealth of wisdom or the worth of living a righteous life 19 times. Talking about wealth and its relation to hard work, that comes up 15 times. There are six proverbs about honest and dishonest gain. There are 10 proverbs just about greed, eight about giving, 14 about the rich and the poor, and 12 proverbs that are connected to debt, lending, and investing, or leaving an inheritance. And that's not even all 100. We need wisdom on wealth. So lean in tonight. We're going to have a discussion about wisdom on money, and hopefully it impacts us financially in an extremely positive way. And tonight is not a ploy to get money for Branch Life Church. As a matter of fact, that request for money is one of the top reasons non-church people don't go to church. I don't go to church because they're always asking for money. And so tonight I'm taking the ask off the table. I am not interested in you emotionally or being guilt-driven uh, to give more money tonight. Please give only what you plan to give unless you absolutely hear from the Holy Spirit this evening. And if you hear from the Holy Spirit saying, you know what, I want you to be more generous in the in arena of branch life, I want you to take that thought home and pray over it before you take action on it. Tonight, what I want to have a conversation on is making better money decisions across the board in all of our lives, in every arena that money touches. And I think that was the hope of Proverbs when King Solomon, the wisest man who ever was and ever will be, gave advice to his sons 
He wanted them to handle money well. And by the way, he had quite an inheritance to hand off to his sons. And so this evening, with the time that we have remaining, we're going to look at the top four Proverbs on money. The top four Proverbs on money. Who picked the top four? Yours truly. So they may or may not be the top four in real life, but they're my top four this evening that I think we all need to know and we all need to understand. These are the top four Proverbs for handling money that will, that will radically and drastically change our financial situation if we follow the wisdom that is given here. So let's jump into the first proverb that you need to know about money tonight. Proverbs, I've hit the button maybe four times and nothing's happened. Proverbs 3, verses 13 and 14. And this falls under the arena of the worth of wisdom. Let's read this verse together. Joyful is the person who finds wisdom and the one who gains understanding. For wisdom is more profitable than silver and her wages are better than gold. Every time you come to scripture, every time you come to the Bible, I encourage you to take three steps. One, look at it, then think about the meaning of it, and then do what it says. And I know that sounds radically simple, but it's radically radical if we would actually approach the Bible that way. So as we just simply look, we start to see what's the topic here, what comes up over and over and over again. And the author of this proverb is talking about wisdom and understanding. And there's a connection to getting wisdom and understanding and having the pursuit of that and the gain of that be more valuable than silver or a large paycheck of solid gold. You know, if you were a wisdom pirate and you were out there looking for your bounty and you followed the treasure map to the giant X in the sand and you dug it up and there was this big old chest that had been buried forever and you opened and it was a wealth of wisdom and knowledge, you would be the happiest pirate in the world. And the, the proverb is simply saying this truth, that it is better for you to find wisdom and understanding than it is for you to find silver and gold. Let's just kind of lay out the meaning of this in sort of a modern statement in a way that we could understand, something that we could even tweet. Some things, according to this proverb, are more valuable than money. And all God's people said, amen. Here's why this is an important principle, and it's one of the top four that you need to know. You must understand that there are some things that are more valuable than money in order to get handling money correct. Putting money into its proper place. A lot of the scriptures that we read give us this simple principle that money is not the most important thing, yet so many of us treat it as the most important thing. Just the last in this last week, I... I'm a Fortnite player, right? So I pay attention to this stupid game. And there was a worldwide competition that literally anybody could enter. I might have been one of the 40 million. 40 million people entered it, and it narrowed down to 100 players. Anybody could enter. And out of that 100 players, one person was going to win the tournament. And that one person would win $3 million for beating the other 40 million in a video game. Now, that happened, and there was a winner, and his name was Booga. His actual name was Kyle, and he goes to Pottsgrove High School. He beat 40 million people 
out for a $3 million prize by playing a video game. Now kids, <laughs> learn the moral of the story. Now, let me just tell you, it didn't happen by accident. This young man did not just stumble onto this championship. He spent hours and hours and hours of disciplined work. He was probably sick of this video game by the time he won. He played it, he pursued it, and he gave time, energy, effort, relationships, all to this pursuit of money. Now, the question is, was it worth it? And I say good for him. I mean, way to work at something and see it pay off in such a big way. But for some of us, dedicating that much time to the pursuit of money may not be the most valuable use of our time. I just read an article and it talked about Steve Jobs. And you know Steve Jobs if you have an iPhone or a Mac or an iPod. He totally revolutionized our world. And Steve Jobs became, and I, I, this number could be wrong, a billionaire seven times over by the time he died of cancer at the age of 56. Seven billion dollars. And as he laid in the final months and the final weeks of his life, he reflected on the amount of money he had and how much it didn't mean anything to him. Because in the end, he was dying. In the end, there's not much you can do with $7 billion. And he said, I spent much of my pursuit in working towards this money, and here I am. Not being able to do anything with it. Some things are more valuable than money. Now, the proverb is very specific about what is the most valuable thing. And the fear of the Lord and wisdom are on the top of that list. So what's more valuable than money? What should I care about more passionately than my paycheck? What should I pursue in a greater, more, uh, and give more effort towards than pursuing financial gain? You should pursue Wisdom, run after it. And it's simply this pattern. If you understand and fear the Lord, the Bible says that that is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom is the ability to make right choices. So if you fear God and you honor God and you care about what God thinks, then through wisdom, you will be able to make the correct decision, the best decision with your money every time. And how often do we consider God when we are making a financial decision? But that's exactly the point of this proverb. Some things are more valuable than money. The fear of the Lord and wisdom top that list. And some, these are some other proverbs. If you get some time and you want to write those down and look those up, they tell us a little bit more and hash this out in other ways. Verse number two and Proverbs number two, I'm sorry. Here's a question that I want, to ask, I want you to ask yourself. How do I know if I'm pursuing wisdom and the fear of the Lord, if money is more important to me than my relationship with God, ask yourself this question. Does my pursuit of money interfere with obeying God? Does my pursuit of money interfere with obeying God? And this is a challenging question if you really start to unpack it a little bit because it, it really puts to the forefront the crux of the matter. Will I neglect my spiritual pursuits in favor of my financial ones? 
Does my employment take precedent over my ministry, over my spiritual growth, over my spiritual time? Does my, my financial pursuit take precedent over caring for the spiritual needs of my family and my community? Does my pursuit of financial gain mean that I'm willing to do things that God says I shouldn't? Do I covet what my neighbors have and possess? Do I, do I lean towards greed when it comes to thinking I want more and need more than I already have? Am I willing to steal? Am I willing to lie? Am I willing to cheat if it causes financial gain in my life? And if the answer to any of those questions is yes, then you are placing too high a value on money. We need to put money in its right place. Place our value on God and allow money to rest in the right order. The Bible simply says things like, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth. You cannot serve two masters, God and money. There are some things that are more valuable than money, and the fear of God and wisdom top that list. Proverb number two, under the topic of generosity, 11 verses 24 and 25. Let's read this together. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Man, this principle of generosity keeps coming up through Scripture. We have made generosity one of our core values here at Branch Life Church. We believe in radical generosity, giving of ourselves to other people. That's why we have something like a serve day. Now, the world is going to tell you that generosity is a horrible investment strategy. It does not make for a great portfolio in your Vanguard funds. And they're going to say to you, no, no, that's not how you build wealth, by giving it away. It's not how it works. But the Bible says that generosity is the best investment strategy. There is nothing better that you can do with your money than be generous with it. Can I say that one more time? There is nothing better that you can do with your money than be generous with it. Look at the proverb. Give freely and become more wealthy. Sounds like an investment strategy to me. Now, how does that work? God only knows. God only knows. But it works. But it works. Now, the opposite seems to be true. If you save it, if you're stingy with it, if you hold it back, you'll lose everything. You'll lose everything. The generous are the ones that prosper, and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Let's put it in a tweetable phrase. You can't outgive God, just try. You can't outgive God, and I double dog dare you to try it. You know, when you, if you've ever kind of given up on working out for a while, you're just going to start getting into a workout routine. It could be all kinds of things. Let's just pretend, to, let's just pick on push-ups. And so you decide that for whatever reason, you're going to become a good push-upper. And you said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to start wrecking this push-up thing. And so on day one, 
you get down, and this is the day where they say you need to test yourself and see how many push-ups you can do before you're completely exhausted. And this is going to be your baseline. This is going to be your starting point. And so you're going to be a good push-upper. So you go to day one, you get your little counter ready. You put it right down there where your nose can hit it. I don't know if that's a thing. And then you go down to do a push-up, and you get to push-up number four, and you're like, I can't do any more. And it's four and a half. Four and a half is your starting number. Now, you st start every day trying to do more push-ups. You have a couple little workout routines that you do, some exercises and stretches. And every day you come back to your push-ups and you do, you do four reps of two. And then, and then you do three reps of three, right? And then you build through the week and uh, you get to that same day a month later and you go to count your new baseline and all of a sudden you've gotten to 16 push-ups. Wow. Keep it up for another month. Now you can do 30 push-ups without stopping. Keep it up for another month. All of a sudden you can do 40 push-ups, then 50, then 60, then 100. Seems like the sky's the limit. It seems like you can't going. I believe that we need to work on our generosity in the same way. I'm asking you tonight to work out your generosity muscle. And tonight you might have to start small. You might have to say to yourself, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about this investment strategy thing. I got things I need to do, places I need to spend money on, candy I need to buy, kids I need to feed. But start small. Find someone that you can bless. Meet a need. and Be generous. And give it away. And then repeat the exercise. Give that same amount away again and again. And do it. Every day for a week, give yourself a rest day on the generosity muscle and then come back to it. And what you will find is that as you practice the habit of generosity, your generosity muscle will grow. And you will be able to give away more than you thought you could. And as you start a consistent pattern of generosity and giving in a generous way, as you test God in this phrase, you will find out that he will not only allow you, but he will enable you and empower you and provide for you to be generous. In ways that you thought you could never be generous. One of the greatest joys in Christianity is the ability to be generous with other people without asking for anything in return. We get to love our neighbor. We get to love our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And some of my favorite moments in my marriage are times when my wife and I have come together and we have had the opportunity and the blessing to give to somebody else. My wife and I are both savers. And that's a nice thing to have in a, in a marriage relationship. And so we're kind of like stingy with our money. And we tend to talk to each other and have conversations about what we're going to spend on and how we're going to spend it. And before we make a purchase of anything over like $7, we check in with each other. Because a McDonald's uh, Happy Meal is less than $7. And when we, we make these purchases, it's just kind of a habit we've gotten into. But there's an unwritten rule in our marriage. And the rule is that neither one of us have to check in with the other when it comes to generosity. If God is speaking to my wife and she's going to give somebody money and it doesn't matter to me how much it is, she better give it. And I don't ever want to stand in the way of her generosity and vice versa. And there's a reason that there's no limit, no financial limit on the amount of money my wife can choose to give away. And the reason is you can't outgive God.
and I believe that. And if my wife decides to give a significant amount of money away because she's been moved to generosity, then I know that God will provide above and beyond what we need. And there are financial situations in my life that I cannot explain. And my only explanation of it is you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. Just try it. Just try it. One of our greatest privileges is being able to be generous. And what if, let me, let me kind of just say this to you too. You already have all the resources you need to do whatever it is God has called you to do. You already have it. So let's stop asking God for more money and let's just ask God for more generosity. Because we already have it. If every American Christian decided to give generously and sacrificially to God, we would be able to pay for Every ministry that exists in full already. And then we'd have plenty left over to do more. We'd be able to reach the masses. But sometimes God's not moving through us because our fist is closed when it comes to giving. So here's the question. When it comes to helping others, am I more concerned with cost than compassion? When it comes to helping others, am I more concerned with cost than compassion. Christian, let's be more compassionate than we are concerned about cost. There's one other area that we're, this is an area that we're going to be working on as a church. And we are looking to reach out and be compassionate to our neighbors. And we're happening to do it on one day. This isn't the only time of the year where we're going to serve. We actually ask our small groups to regularly take a night off from having a group to go serve in some way, shape, or form. And we hope that our groups are serving regularly in the community through whatever connections you have. We support that, we celebrate that, and we cheer that on. But we're taking a moment where we can come together with all of our groups and all of our people and serve. And I want to just kind of give you a hint tonight on what some of the projects are that we're talking about. We don't have them all finalized. We're in the process of talking to quite a few of our neighbors about what we can do. And tonight we're getting together with our small group leaders and we're going to brainstorm a little bit and make some commitments. And if you want to sit in on that conversation, you can. It's going to happen about 10 minutes after the service. But we visited the Genesis Pregnancy Center in Pottstown and they've been around for a very long time and they exist to serve uh, moms who are having babies who don't have needs. They provide food, clothing, um, uh, uh, diapers, uh, medical screenings, uh, they help take care of financial needs, and they just open their doors to anyone who needs it. And we got down and we sat with them and we said, how can we serve you on serve day? And she said, you think some people at Branch Life would just be willing to go door to door and tell people we're here? There are moms that need help who don't even know we exist. And I said, yeah, that'd be great. She goes, we can't get anybody to do it. I said, why? I said, people are scared to go door to door in Pottstown. And I said, not Branch Life people. We're going to go door to door on Sunday morning. It's going to be awesome. Not too early because we don't want to wake anybody up. But we're going to go door to door. And she goes, you can give us the Genesis. You can give them the information about the pregnancy center. And you can also give them information about Branch Life Church. I was like, bonus. We're definitely making that one of our projects. We can't wait to help and connect with families in Pottstown. And when you do it on Sunday morning, guess where they're not? They're not in church. So you know you're talking to someone that needs a church. And we can say to them, hey, we love you, this is in your community, and we can be an encouragement to the pregnancy center, and we can be an encouragement to our neighbors. We've talked to several organizations that help serve underprivileged youth in Pottstown. The, the Pottstown Area Police League, PALS, that, that serves kids and gives them opportunity to play sports. 
There's a new foundation that we're a part of called PAC, Pottstown Area Children's Foundation. They do a Christmas party and a food drive at the YMCA. We've talked to both of those organizations as well as Olivet School, Olivet Boys and Girls Club and the middle school. And you know what? Almost all of them said, you know, we don't really have a project where you can come like do work for us, but we just need some financial help. And I said, all right, maybe there's something we can do about it. And maybe we can do a free will car wash and wash as many cars as we can. If somebody wants to give a donation, we just have buckets out. One for PAL, one for PAC, one for Olivet, one for the middle school. And they can drop it in there. And then we can turn around and go over to the to Olivet Boys and Girls Club and say, look, we got some money for you. We don't keep anything for ourselves. We just serve our community that day and we'd be radically generous. Way better than having a car wash to raise money for me or for Branch Life. Let's serve our community. That's what we mean by radical generosity. Question number three, do I have to tithe or do I get to? Do I have to tithe or do I get to? We use the word tithe because in the Old Testament, a tithe is talked about something that you are directly giving to the Lord. And it is an Old Testament idea. I don't believe that this carries over in the New Testament. But the tithe in the Old Testament was a 10% number. And if you look in Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, if you would read that passage, it talks about robbing God when you don't give to him generously. God said, I gave you everything that I have, and I want you to honor me with at least 10% of it. Now, in the New Testament, I think that 10% is a great starting off point where we can say, I'm going to regularly give my income to God, but let's not stop at 10%. There's a pastor in California who is a church planner, and he made a commitment to 10% giving to the church. And he said, I'm going to give 10% of my tithe. I'm going to be faithful with that. And no matter what comes, that's going to happen. And that's never going to give. And that's going to remain the same. But a year later, he and his wife got together and they said, you know what? We need to do more than 10%. And so they upped it. And every year after that, they upped it again. And they upped it again. And they upped it again. And every time they upped it, God blessed them. And every time they gave more, they got more. They're like, how is this working? God, we're trying to give you more, and we're trying to make sure that you have it. And I think the two things were not unrelated. That pastor went on to build from the ground one of the largest churches in the world, and his name is Rick Warren. And in the midst of that, he decided to write a book called The Purpose Driven Church or Purpose Driven Life, and he sold 32 million copies at last glance. He now gives away to the Lord over 90% of his income, and he lives just on 10 or less. Because you can't outgive God. Do we care more about money or ministry? And the third verse that we need to know, and we'll wrap it up here in just a couple of minutes, is in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7, and it's under the topic of debt. And here's what it says. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. You know, this idea of debt is a massive noose around, or a massive weight around the ankles of the American family. It has become a common way of living, being enslaved to debt. Let me read you some statistics here about the average household debt in America, according to USA Today. The average household in America has $16,883 of credit card debt. The average American household owes just under $30,000 
in auto loans. The average American household owes $50,000 in student debt. The average American household owes almost $200,000 in mortgage loans. If you take the mortgage out and you just add up the student loans, the auto loans, and the credit card loans, five, six, seven, eight, you're at just under $100,000 of debt for the average American household. Here's the principle written in a tweetable form. Debt destroys generosity. Debt destroys generosity. If I can challenge you with one thing tonight, would be to commit to living a debt-free lifestyle. You know, there's a resource that I want to point you to this evening and encourage you to kind of start soaking it in. There's a guy who's famous. He's all over the country. He's on Fox News every day named Dave Ramsey. He's got a book that you've got to read if you've not read it called The Total Money Makeover. And he simply has a slogan that says, are you willing to live like nobody else so you can live like nobody else? In other words, you're going to have to do everything that you possibly can to spend less, to live on a lower amount of money so that you can pay down whatever debt you have so that you become debt-free. And once you are debt-free, you can now live like nobody else because you won't be carrying the weight of debt around. Debt strangles us. Debt enslaves us. Debt controls us. It destroys us. And it buries us in emotion and anxiety and worry. Debt is like a shackle when you go and try to do things in the name of the Lord Jesus. When you try to give, but you can't because there's so much money going out towards debt. And you start overpaying for things that you should have just either not paid for, not bought, or paid cash for. And his system, everything but your mortgage, but it even talks about how to work with that. He talks about how you can as quickly as possible pay down your debt so that you are then radically free to give generously and we as Christians, we, we want more money so that we can give more freely, not so that we can live higher on the hog. And so this, this mission of this program is so important to them that every hour of their radio show, twice a day, they stop and they do what's called a debt-free scream. And this, this is a super reminder for everyone who's a part of the program Everyone who works there, everyone who's a part of it has to stop. They have to listen so they can refresh themselves in the importance of being debt-free. This is a believer who's talking about, I believe, a biblical principle of trying to live life within your means so that you can live it debt-free. And I want you to see what a debt-free scream looks like. Oh, you need to make sure you let them know that's not what's driving you, okay? Okay. Hey, man, thanks for the call. And you are doing good stuff, man. Doing great stuff. All right, in the lobby of Ramsey Solutions, the headquarters right here, CJ and Lauren are with us. Hey, guys, how are Hi, you? We're, we're great. great. It's an well, honor to so be excited. here. Well, it's an honor to have you guys. Where, do you, where are you from? Auburn. Auburn, Al Alabama. Cool. So are you Auburn fans? I have two degrees from Auburn, and he went to Alabama. I have one from Alabama. So is this a house divided? Yes. <laughs> but we live in Auburn, and we owed Auburn more money, so I always say Auburn won in our household because <laughs> we owed them way more money. <laughs> so I just got an email 10 minutes ago that the Auburn Athletic Department has decided to teach our uh, college curriculum to all the athletes at Auburn. 
And I have uh, heard that. They yeah. just signed it up just this week. Awesome. So very, very cool. cool. Well, congratulations, you guys. You're Thank here to you. tell us your debt-free story. How much have you paid off? $115,000. Whoa! And how long did that take? 34 months. Good job. Making what kind of money? Uh, when we first started, it was 63000 then 86000 and now 106000 Way to go. What do you guys do? I teach second grade. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm a director at a hospital. Very good. So how old are you two? I just turned 30 October the 1st, mm -hmm. and he'll be 30 in April. Way to go. And you're debt-free. Yes. So what was this? Student loans and what else? $10,000 on a car and then $105,000 in student loans. Okay. So what happened 34 months ago that's got this whole thing started? We got married three years ago today. Uh -huh. Today is our three-year wedding anniversary. Oh, happy anniversary. Thank you. And, um, you know, the next day reality sets in, and you're, you know, had this awesome wedding, and then you sit down with the numbers, and so our debt-free freedom journey began the day after we got married. Yeah, so you, after the marriage, you sit down, look at the numbers, and you have an oh crap moment. Yep. <laughs> oh no! Yeah. What are we gonna do? Sally Mae doesn't care about our wedding. No, yeah, the they bills didn't. kept coming. Yeah, yeah, the bills kept coming, so she, we had to get real with the numbers, and so we did. Very cool. So how did you that? How did that? What did you do? What was your first step? What what you? How did you get this going? Well, we got on the same page, got on budget, and. Uh, First and foremost, ask God to help. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. We still continued to tithe and trust him, and he, he did it all. Very cool. And we um, had calculated that it would take us a lot longer. Yeah, you know, when we first ran the numbers, it was going to take us 66 months, mm -hmm. and then God did it in 34 months. Mm -hmm. He did. Oh, boom. Like cut it in half. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you guys got intense, obviously. And uh, so uh, how did you get plugged into us? I had taken the class in 2009. I was still in graduate school. And um, we got engaged shortly thereafter, and so the wedding came, and we paid deposits and things like that. And so the program got put to the side. And then um, I just following your show and Instagram, watching the people do their screens were so inspirational, and it just kept us going through our journey. And, and so when we got married, um, he knew about you and had listened to your show um, on the way to and from work. And mm -hmm. we decided to plug in and, um, and do the program. And now we lead an FPU course in our home oh. um, through our church. So wow. we're well, leaders. So I'm sure they're all tuning in. Yeah. Hey, small group. Hey, small group. <laughs> Very cool. Good for you guys. Very fun. Chris? Hey, do you guys have any words of encouragement for those who maybe during you know, 34 months, I know there was probably some seasons where you were struggling, discouraged, frustrated, like whatever. I'm just going to go back and go back to the old way of life. What did, how did you get through all that? I don't know. Just stay disciplined and keep yeah. asking God for it, and then he'll make things happen. And you see the results happening, and um, just stay disciplined. We adopted a verse as well, a Bible verse that we clung to, and we framed it and had it in, in sight so that we could keep relying on that and relying on God's word, and um, he did it. Uh -huh. What was the verse? Um, it was in Isaiah. We were going to get you to sign it. Um, but just talking about um, building um, streams through the desert, through the wilderness. He is the stream through the wasteland, and we, we believed that and clung to that, and he was our stream through our desert of financial you know, turmoil. So That is so neat. There is this mystical thing that happens between your hard work and his blessings. Yeah and that both of them have to be present in order for these successes to occur uh, and to occur at this kind of speed. I mean, you didn't sit there and do nothing, and he just shipped you money. Uh, you've been working your butts off and sacrificing, and he's blessed it. That's mm -hmm. both things going on. So congratulations, Thank you guys. You. Yeah, Thank congrats. you. Very, very well done. So you tell people the key. You were saying, CJ, is the budget, right? Yeah, you know, stick with the budget. Um, you make more money. That means more money you throw at debt. The budget doesn't change. And then... Uh, we just stayed disciplined, stayed with it. Yeah, because your incomes went up like 40% during this time. That's his income, yes. 
and yeah. um, God kept blessing, but really also just having to learn to say no. I mean, we're young, and we have a lot of friends that want to do a lot of things and take a lot of trips and go out to eat. I think our big thing was going out to eat was killing our budget, and so we just had to say no a lot, and we got weird. We were mm-hmm. weird, and our friends started kind of embracing our weirdness after a little bit. And well, now and you're 30 us. years old, and you paid off $115,000. That makes you officially weird. Yes. <laughs> you are yes. not we normal are at all. Yes. You're anything but normal. Normal's broke, out of control, and fighting about money every yes. week. That's right. Well, congratulations, Thank you, you two. Thank very, you. Very, very, very well done. All right, CJ and Lauren, Auburn, Alabama, house divided when it comes to football, but not when it comes to <laughs> knocking out the debt. $115,000 paid off in 34 months, making 63 up to 106. Count it down. Let's hear a debt-free scream. Three, two, one. We're debt-free! <laughs> You know, the neat thing about the debt-free scream is it keeps it keeps the goal in mind. And it allows people to keep keep moving ahead on what's important. And I believe this I- idea of getting finances correct is extremely important. And it's a very spiritual endeavor. So tonight, if you need wisdom on finances, that's something that you need to be able to take before the Lord. Put money in its right place. There are some things that are worth more than money. Be dedicated to generosity. We want more so we can give more, not so we can get more. And be a pursuer of debt-free living. You know, if you're here tonight and debt is an issue for you and your family, I'm going to leave this book on the stage. I'm not going to watch who takes it. Come up and get it. This is my gift to you. We're going to offer one of the Financial Peace University small groups at some point in our small group rotation in the near future. Jump in on that. And in the meantime, you can just go to the podcast and the YouTube channel and start listening and getting some great advice. But if you pray this prayer tonight, God, give me wisdom on money. He loves to answer that prayer. And he has written over 2,350 Bible verses to help you. So go to him and go to his word and conquer this area of money so that we can make the best decision with the finances we have every time. Are you willing to live like nobody else so you can live like nobody else? I like to change this into a little bit of a different sentence for Branch Life Church. Are you willing to live like nobody else so that you can give like nobody else? So that you can give like nobody else. Nothing better in the life of a Christian. So if you have a a prayer request or a thought, if any of these three verses were challenging to you, uh, understanding that you can't serve God in money, uh, Pastor Josh, pray for me that I put money in its right place in my thinking and my thoughts, and that I would value the fear of the Lord and wisdom. If if generosity is something you'd like to get better at, and you're going to start doing one push-up a day, help me in the area, pray for me in the area of generosity. If debt is an issue for you and you're willing to share that with us, we would pray for you for that. I would consider that a win if you would openly say, help us in the area of debt. We want to tackle it. We want to go after it. The key is to know your numbers. Know your numbers. Know what you need. Know what's coming in. Know what's going out and adjust everything according to those numbers. This book will help you do that. I'd be glad to get together with you. We have other people that are good with money in the church. They would help you as well. If, if those are issues for you, if those are needs for you, go ahead and put those on and we'll pray for you. In just a couple minutes, we're going to sing a song. We want to ask everyone to go ahead and fill out one of these cards and turn it in the baskets that are, are 
being passed out. And if you're a regular attender, if you've decided to follow Jesus or interested in any of these things, we'd love to know that on the card. I want to end with a time of silence prayer connected to our fourth verse. It's a verse that everybody should know, a proverb everyone should know about money. And it is simply a prayer. The author of Proverbs chapter 30 wrote this into the prayer, and it just hit me sideways this week. It's like I read it fresh for the first time. And this is his prayer. Oh God, I beg two favors from you. I'm going to ask God for two things. If you could ask for God for two things, what would they be? I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have picked these two things, but this is what wisdom picked. Let me have them before I die, these two things. First, help me to never tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. I think there's so much wisdom in this prayer. I am not against having a lot of money, and God can choose to bless anyone he wants to choose, and he can reward hard work, and he can reward generosity, and that's an amazing thing. But if our spirit is the spirit of this prayer, man, we're not pursuing wealth for the sake of wealth. And we are trying to be responsible and meet the needs that we have and working hard so, they're not, so that we're not struggling and not able to be generous with other people. We live in a time and in a country where we have so many resources available to us. If we dedicate ourselves to God's word and God's wisdom and God's handling of finances, the sky is really the limit. So I want to give you the opportunity to just bow your head and close your eyes in the quietness of the moment. Either pray these exact words or words like it. And just reflect and talk to God about the areas of finances. And tonight, ask God to give you wisdom in dealing with money. And see where he leads you this week as you have conversations and continue to pray over it. And you'll know when it's time to stop praying when the music starts and we sing our closing song. And during that song, we'll collect the cards. Let's bow for a quiet time of prayer.